Welcome to Boots Off Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business. A show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David, and I'll be your host for the show. Welcome everybody to a new episode of Boots Off Log On. In this episode, I talk to Annalisa Newman from Caradale Farming, who farms with her husband Craig in Varley, Western Australia, and their long-term farm business advisor, David Neve. Annalisa is a very switched-on and proactive farmer. She's the founding chairwoman of local farm business improvement group, WIFE, or Women in Farming Enterprises. She has worked with Craig to build up their successful farm business through strong, proactive financial record keeping and close attention to cash flow management. She shares her journey as a farmer and the building of her financial management skills over time. Annalisa has lots of valuable lessons to share with other long-term farm managers and people who are new to the farm management responsibility. David is a farm management consultant with over 21 years of experience. He's a big believer in clients owning their numbers, being the holder of their own cards and being the controller of the network of advisors around them. They talk about how they work together, how to maximise the value from your advisor, personal farm business benchmarking, peeling back the onion of financial management, the importance of asking lots of questions, and many other topics. If you're looking for a way to step up your farm management game, these two are a great blueprint. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, to both of you. Well, hopefully we'll have an interesting chat. And so today I'm talking to Annalisa Newman from Bali and David Neve. I don't actually know where you're from, David. You're probably from Perth. Yeah. And so Annalisa runs a farm business with her husband, Craig, in Bali. And David is their advisor. And um, so today we're going to be talking about all things, both farm business management from both Annalisa's point of view and from David and how they work together. So maybe I can just start with you, Annalisa. And for all those people listening from around Australia, and actually we've got a, a bunch of listeners around the world too. I was, I'm getting feedback from um, Irish farmers the other day, which is interesting now. Varley. Can you tell us a little bit about Varley in Western Australia and about your farming operation in Varley? Yep. Okay, so Varley is um, part of the West Australian wheat belt. It's probably one of the more eastern parts of the wheat belt. You'll need to fly into Perth and drive about four and a half hours southeast on the way to, say, Esperance. And on the way, you'll meet a lovely little town called Varley. It's a great area where what we call a sort of a low to medium rainfall zone. We have heavier soil types and then uh, some, some lighter soil types. So there's the salt lake systems that run through our area. So we have very variable soil types and our, our rainfall patterns can be variable as well. So we have a few different risk, risk issues in the way of the old, the old frost that, that can affect our crops and spring type finishes for spring and then and sometimes the, the delayed start to the season. So it is a, a challenging area, but 
it is very rewarding when, when things all come together. So a lot of the growers, a lot of the area down there is coming up to celebrating a centenary. So Newtigate's got its centenary celebrations this year, which is exciting for the region. It's a great part of, part of the state and yeah, a lot of farmers have been there for a long time. Yeah, they have. It's um, 100 years. Um, it's interesting. You know, I think growing up, I used to think a lot of especially the um, eastern part of the state was newer than the, the, you know, generally like all states, the newer bits tend to be out near the coast and the, and the younger bits tend to be further out. But 100 years is not that young, really. Probably yeah. European terms it is, but not in Australian terms. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, and David, you're a farm business advisor. Can you tell everyone a bit about your business and um, how do you operate with clients like Annalisa and Craig? Yeah, my business is focused around the financial management of farm businesses. So that encompasses um, the uh, annual planning, the reviewing of those plans during the season or at the end of the season, and all things in between with property purchases, machinery decision-making, succession planning and so forth. So I've got my clients spread across the wheat belt, so northern, eastern and great southern. So I've got a bit of a smattering, mostly uh, broadacre wheat sheep. So again, a little bit of time on you know, sheep versus cropping in that analysis as well and crossover into you know, benchmarking and internal comparative analysis as well so that we're looking at the continuous improvement and how we measure that. Oh, very good. And now you're both long-term users. I think, David, you're a bit longer than Annalisa. So, uh, Annalisa, how long have you been using Agrimaster for? Yeah, back 2004 was our first year farming. So, yeah, coming up, yeah, 18 years this year. Wow. And looking forward to the, the 20-year celebrations in the next couple oh, of years. Right. Yeah, from the very start, Agrimaster was part of our business and it had been part it. of yeah. um, my husband's family's business. Um, prior to that, uh, yeah, the very long history of using Agrimaster from, yeah, I think it's inception, really. Yeah, I think his family were right right back in the early 80s. Yeah, it's a very long history. And you, David, talking about, you know, using since the 80s, yep. I think you're a... Yep, um, introduced <laughs> at university and uh, back in the day when Kent was uh, developing it right from the word go. And so basically all my working life I've been involved in it and um, yeah, watched it progress and change and probably looking forward to the next change to see what you've got up your sleeve. Yeah, no, so are we. It's a bit exciting, actually. Now, I'm interested. So not everybody around Australia or the world operates with, you know, a farm business advisor. A lot of people would operate with a a, a livestock advisor or an agronomist or both or, you know, these specialist roles or even a grain marketing advisor maybe, but a, a farm business advisor. So can I just um, start with you, Annalisa? So how do you... I suppose, work with David or use David? I don't think David wants to be used, but how do you work yeah. with David, you know, and, and, and why? Yeah. So David was able to offer us um, what we were looking for. Probably it was about, um, it's 10 years ago now. Um, we've hit a, quite a, a turbulent patch in our business's growth. I think we've been farming for about six years. And, um, yeah, 2010 and 2012 in particular were very challenging seasons for our business. We've been farming for quite a few years until that point. Just felt that the model that we were in, I think I was talking to you a bit earlier, our model was a lease model for the first 10 years of our business. So we were very, we were able to see very clearly the impact of, of poor seasons and um, poor outcomes, what that did to our equity position and, and where we were at. Um, because we didn't have that, the land 
value under our business. We were just purely running the operational side of it. So we could see quite clearly that we needed a stronger handle on our financial management to try and turn the business around and, and make some good decisions moving forward. So we came across David during a, um, it's actually the, the uh, Ag Department's drought pilot, drought, drought workshops that went through the district in that period. And um, he was part of the financial um, workshops that formed those groups, those classes. He, I guess he spoke to that, that exactly what we were looking for was that need for growers to own the numbers, to be able to understand the numbers and, and know what was driving the profitability and how those decisions we make out in the field or in, in the, you know, at field days or machinery purchases, what impact that's going to have on your outcome and being able to manage um, the cash flow well in between um, point to point because um, for us, yeah, our cash flow was tight and um, we just, oh, I didn't have the skills that I wanted to have to be able to manage that. And I could see David was prepared to match what we were wanting, which was that I wanted to be able to open our books and our cash book and be able to run the budgeting. I wasn't using that whole component of AgriMaster, was just being left vacant for those first few years. I wasn't utilising, I'd have a play myself, but we were using a more of a static style budget from a, um, from a different company. And um, so therefore my cash book couldn't really talk to that document. So after a first month or so that I couldn't really use that unless we were up constantly updating it with, with that company. But I could see that we had this program and the functionality. I just didn't have the skills to do that. And um, David was able to join with me and and coach me, essentially. Um, he met, sort of matched where I was at and was able to do a, a bigger amount of the analysis and work at those earlier days. But he's, he's then been able to um, hand over a lot of that and teach me and um, and and we've transitioned to that point where we, yeah, I'm sort of able to do the lion's share of it, but I still value uh, hugely his, his thinking and coming in and double checking and making sure I've considered things and then we can have some high level discussions. So him being able to match using our own cash book to run our business and the budgeting side and the budgeting component was the, the key to, for, you know, um, having that, yeah, forming that alliance and it's been fantastic. And just to touch on that point, Alice, so have a concept of the benefit that could bring you. Obviously, David came along and he said, look, you sh you know, there's a big benefit in attaching, you know, your budget and your, your actuals together and measuring them together and keeping, you know, like you said, to own your numbers. Yeah. And prior to that discussion, had you ever considered the benefit of going through that process? I probably hadn't considered it from that point of view. I could just see that. What, I, what we were doing wasn't enough and it was, um, you'd be put in situations where you'd have to ring the bank and, it, you know, ask for an overdraft extension and not be able to clearly articulate what might have gone on or you've had a bad season. And I now know leading into harvest, where almost where we'll land post-harvest. Got that ability now to be much more on the front foot to navigate whatever might happen. Whereas before I just felt it was just so after the, after the, effect of, of what was happening I was always on the back foot of everything and it just it mm. didn't fit right but until you could yeah you get in that driver's seat and you really know what you're doing you realize that the benefits and it's opened up a lot of opportunities for us and our business 
Um, and to swap to you, David, you, I know you're a massive advocate. First, Annalisa, first heard of you. This advocate of of your farm businesses you do with, well, all farm businesses, I think, in your case, um, should own their numbers and the benefit of owning their numbers. And can you talk us through, you know, why are you such a strong advocate for this, you know, uh, that your clients own their numbers? Yeah, the bottom line is is that people like myself are inv- invited into the business and part of our role is to educate. And I think that's the vital component and the win for that is that we get so much more out of it as advisors as well. So the only way that we can do that is to transition the ownership of the numbers. And we've got to instill the importance of the numbers. So is it for our farm management is it for reporting purposes to other parties? And it's primarily the first one because that's when you get the ownership. If you can understand why you're doing it for yourself. And so as Annalise is saying, that phone call to the bank is no longer a phone call of intrepidation. It's a phone call of, of power, of being informed, whether that's good news or bad news. And you're able to ring in November, December and not wait for the bank to ring you in February and saying, where's the money? That's the sort of empowerment that you've got. There is no fear to be held by the numbers when you own them. If you don't own them, then you fear them. It's a bit like getting your tax return done. If you don't understand how the accountant's done the tax work, then there's some amount of trepidation to what do they mean at the end of the day. So on that sort of philosophy, that if we can't understand what it is that we're putting in front of the clients in terms of being able to articulate that so that the client can own it, then we're not doing our job at the end of the day. I think I said to you yesterday, David, when I first, the first budget I did with Annalisa, I got 18 questions in an email back. And as a consultant, that shocked me, Annalisa, and we've talked about that before. But what did that say is that that was the start of the transition of teaching to informing and somebody then taking on that information and to where we are today where Annalisa, as she said, takes a lion's share and I come in and we do things at a higher level. We talk about profitability, not just cash flow and those sorts of things. So that's why we must transition and pass that on because there's more that we can do if we do that. So, yeah, so to touch on that point, let's get Annalisa. So, Annalisa, because David's not having to sit there and actually, because you own the numbers and you're doing the numbers and, you know, when when you talk to David, that, that sort of the part of the business is, is well, that part of the work is, is not, is largely done. Do you think that you have a different relationship with David as an advisor as opposed to if he was coming in helping you, I don't know, build your budgets or do the reports mm. for you? Or do you find that it's a different type of relationship? Yeah, I guess, yeah, and perhaps maybe switching into that more of a mentoring role perhaps that's, um, you know, he's, he's looking at the decisions or the direction that we're going. Yeah, it's like we're all working for one, for the business. I'm not having to, um, I guess, get given something and then and then trust that he's got his eyes on the ball. I feel like we've got our eyes on the ball and he's just there to be a bit of a safety net, to just cross-check and he often because plays devil's advocate, <laughs> asks us why or how, how are we sure we're going to get a return on that investment and can we demonstrate that. He's yeah, made me question a number of things, but I think that he's kind of like the gatekeeper a little bit in the sense of making sure that we're being 
there's a lot of rigor, I think, in our direction and decision making that I guess maybe comes from the fact that he can sit at that slightly higher level, not just having to do the the basics to make the year roll from an operate, you know, financially operational perspective. It's it's strategy, just you know, next level up type stuff. Yeah, and that's really good. You, David, you said to me once before that you think um, you can provide much more value to your clients is if you're focusing at that strategic or that question or the things that Annalisa just said, looking at things and asking questions around numbers and um, then if you're there, I don't know, writing budgets for them. Mm. Um, and it, so can you explain that philosophy to, to the to – the, Yeah, no, the thing about it is, is and I'll use a, an example, is if a, a lease property or a property purchase comes up um, and a lease has had a look at that, it's obviously a business decision that hits the table. For us to then look at that, um, and a lease has already done her due diligence and that may be a phone call initially just to touch base on it. I'll give some guidance. She'll then go away and do some of that analysis or we'll do it together on the phone. Or we've already got a five-year average that we can use as a as a, a number that we can multiply forward as a basis of making those calculations. Or it could be plant replacement, which is connected to understanding what are the key ratios for plant replacement and then making them a part of your conversation and over time, again, Annalisa and Craig manage that decision primarily by themselves. I don't get heavily involved in that. They look at it from the perspective of their needs and then they flow it into the ratios and their cash flow planning into the profit impact on profit through depreciation. And all of a sudden, there is a connection to the decision to other parts of the business. Can't divorce that. And that's, again, the benefit of not having to do all of the numbers and Annalisa coming in and doing so much more at the bottom and then I come in as say as a mentor and discuss the idea. And David you'd have come across a lot of farmers um, and probably even new clients who who see this um, role this accounts whether they be doing your accounts or doing your budgeting or all or in between it's very much a, a tactical tax focused job to be done um, as opposed to what we what both of you are talking about today can you maybe or uh, both your different points of view that that viewing this as a i know doing something to keep the government happy mm. or doing it the way that you're both talking about it from a strategic farm strategy can you explain the differences yeah just just from my perspective it's about why are you doing the books you're doing them primarily for your business so the third parties, your accountant, the tax office, the bank, myself even, we are third parties. So you want a system that allows you to quickly and easily understand the key components of your business. It then rolls off to those other parties. They are not the direct directors of your, account, your finances. So for example, if I pick up a new client and I've, it, they've got an A to Z chart of accounts, the first thing we'll do is give them a new set of group headings. So it might be a dozen headings. And the idea of that is you're then separating the, the cash book into categories that then allow you to suddenly explore your business at a, at a, at a, a big picture level. And then you can layer down even further underneath that. But so often, what's an alphabetical list going to give you? 
a list list of numbers yeah. from A to Z. No management in there at all. So, Annalisa, how do you like to? Um, I'm probably you probably don't do everything David advises you to do. So, how do you how do you um, break up that recording side of your business? You know that that um, the keeping records of your business and and what's your strategy around that? Do you use um, what type of coding? What do you use other categories like allocations and enterprises? And how do you use that data to make decisions for yourself? Yeah. Um- Look, the coding guidance had to happen at the very start of our um, relationship with David. So he was quite prescriptive in how that was to happen. And and now looking back, I can see why and how that connects to all the rest of the analysis that he does on the business um, in our reporting. So I was quite happy to fall in with that coding structure. From our business's perspective, the coding structure given us the tools that we need to make sure that we're heading in the right direction. And our business has been one of a development stage business. I suppose we started from, you know, sort of a low base and have had to, and have had hurdles along the way. So that fi- the global financial stuff has been our focus. We allocate to particular um, machines, uh, bigger machines, but machinery, the machinery chunk of our business is only really just starting to grow legs. Prior to that, we had quite a low investment in machinery and plant, so that hasn't been a huge focus for us. And, and from an enterprise level, we, we do have stock, um, cropping and sheep. Sheep has really only in the last sort of probably five years taken a, become a, as we've built up stock numbers and, and introduced a feedlot and, and components to that have become a more um, prevalent part of our income so we're actually just recently starting to drill into more of that. But we're able to pull that out of the cash book and do that because of our coding is set up the way it is. It's actually quite straightforward to flow it into David's profit analysis. Per we We're looking basically cropping versus sheep at the moment. Earlier on, we did some analysis between wheat versus barley way back at the start of our business because we were, yeah, David just mm-hmm. pulled the business apart and helped us really dig into what was working and what wasn't working. And we made some really key changes back then. But that all came about from getting those codes set up and, and be able to really drill into the profitability of, between, say, wheat and barley back then. But, yeah, as I imagine as the business grows, allocating, you know, those things like that to machines and, and specific as we want to track that, that cost of the business because it's becoming more and more significant, it's going to be something we, we push into. But... We've been much more global up until this point, but I can see the benefit of those those options moving forward as the business gets more consolidated. Yeah, definitely. So has it given you um, any insights that you didn't expect? You know, because you're recording essentially income and expenditure by enterprise. And so you've got, in broad terms, you've got the different cropping ones, but you've also got livestock versus crop. Mm-hmm. Has it surprised you in any way, the, the insights that, you, that you've got from that? Yeah, it's um, it's just starting to become a lot more apparent, especially with the recent shifts. If we're using our five-year averages of, of cropping, grain pricing, and now we've been with David for 10 years, he's just done us a brilliant five-year comparative analysis, so first five years to second five years, which he, he could see we needed to do to really check in. We've done a huge amount of investment, um, like our operational costs were we're above normal for quite a few years because we were line, we're doing a lot of remedial line projects and we really needed to track that those were actually having an impact on the business. And so we've followed you know, yield and water use efficiency quite closely. 
but now we're able to do this five-year comparison and um, we're noticing that, yeah, not obviously the business has moved forward very well, but within the last five years that livestock component has really ramped up and then when you drill it down to using our, our codes and, and then pulling it off into a profit analysis, we're able to see that the cost of production for livestock are just so much lower. So from a profitability level, there's some interesting things evolving there which are making us look very closely at our, our business's mix. But of course, in the last couple of years with grain prices, it's a little bit, a bit of a, an unusual situation. So we're watching, but we, so we're just, it's given us that ability that we know the sheep yeah. are very profitable. So we're posturing to be able to push sheep more if we need to. So, you know, we're making some in the background decisions, but we can stick either way. If, if, we, if something happened, if the grain price is corrected, if, if, if mm. input costs stay up and machinery prices, you know, they, they, yeah, it, the sheep option is looking really good. But of course, I shouldn't be. It's, uh, <laughs> there's always the curveballs. And, and, um, but I guess it, when you know what's going on, you can position yourself to make the most of opportunities. Yeah, and that's a interesting thing. So you're saying that although there's there's a lot of headwinds, we everybody at this point in time in 2022 with crop with cropping, you know, price of machinery, fertilizer, imports, fuel, um, but the fact that you have this analysis from the livestock enterprise and it, and and what you're saying is because you've got the analysis, it actually stacks up quite well. So it feels like you've got that strategy if you need it. And that's um, right. And David, you you've mentioned before that learnings. You 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 talk uh, um, about internal benchmarking. So that in agriculture, there tends to be this concept, you know, very well known concept of external benchmarking. There's lots of great firms who build really comprehensive um, sets of reports every year. But you're a big advocate of internal benchmarking. You know, the mm. first stop. Can you tell us a little bit more about that internal benchmarking and how you you and your clients use it for continuous improvement? Yep. Yeah, as Annalisa said, this year we've, for the first time we've done a, a current and a previous five years instead of the old 10 years versus five years. And that was driven out of the fact of, again, using Annalisa as an example, and Craig as an example, is that investment in amelioration, pasture improvement, etc. is that how is that going in all of the facets of the business. So the internal benchmarking goes across the physical, the financial, and you're looking at the interrelationships, obviously profitability being the main key. That's what we're driving the business is to be more profitable. Therefore, if we're getting improvements in water use efficiency, is that associated with increases in costs of obtaining that? So nitrogen, um, chemicals, et cetera, or is it a true gain in the business? So being able to drill down and get that information allows you to then firstly look at yourself internally and if there's no change between your current and your previous five years to understand that as your starting point, then you can come outside and say, okay, let's look at a set of um, benchmarks across my region and see if there's some things that I could um, spot, if you like, and bring into my business and look for opportunities. So... Yeah, example might be there that um, you know you've got a static lambing percentage at seventy five percent, and you think, oh well, that's all right, but then you get the benchmarks out, and you suddenly realise that the district average is ninety to ninety five percent. Ah, okay, righto. What do we got to do? So that's how we use the two um, forms to firstly look at yourself, and then 
take yourself outside of your four fence, out of your four fences, if you like, of your business and say, well, okay, can I bring some new information in um, to add to what I already do and add profit to the business? And again, having that current and previous, you're then able to look at that rolling position. And hopefully as we look over a 15-year period with Craig and Annalise's, we'll actually have a five, a five and a five for example, or any multiples of those that we want to have a look at to see what's happened with the business. The ultimate measure is if we get internal growth, then the hectare that we're farming today will be a bigger hectare tomorrow because we're producing mm. more from now, can I just double? Can I just double-click on that a bit, David? Mm. Sorry to be a nerdy reference. But the idea of internal growth, I love this idea. So we always think of growth as buying out half the district or or those sort of stuff. But I love this concept of investing in internal growth or a hectare in five years' time might be worth more than it is today. Can you sort of elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah, oh, an example of a client that's, say, been with me for 20-odd for years, um, they haven't been able to grow the business, but their profitability's doubled. So they might be the same size farm as they were physically 20 years ago, but they are actually twice as efficient or twice as profitable today. So they haven't lost everything. And if they're running profitably for that whole 20 years and they're the smallest farmer in the district, is that a bad thing? No, because they are still profitable. They haven't reached that point where they're tipping over and losing profit and basically got the for sale sign up because they can't get any more out of the business. They get up every morning and they're just as excited as they were 20 years ago. And they're still farming yeah, the same I, amount. I of love that. I love that. There, is a, there was a term that I you would have heard probably 20 years ago. I think it was an accountant from New Zealand. He used to always say that uh, uh, yield is vanity and profit is sanity. But in this case, um, it's probably hectares of vanity and you and profit is sanity. You know, mm-hmm. like yep, yeah. Um, especially in this year. This year, sorry, it, it um, Annalisa, in, in a year like this where. Um, many grain growers around Australia in particular, but West Australia, no, in, in definitely, have had a really good year in 2021. And so there's some, um, some healthy profits, which helps out. Knowing how to invest those, you know, and a lot of people are looking at, we just touched before, you're talking about land prices and, and, and machinery prices. That's obviously the tempting space to go. Um, but this, does this help you make decisions, this concept of internal growth that David's talking about? Yeah, I guess where our business is at, that opportunity to have, David's always referenced a war chest was the word, <laughs> having a war chest, <laughs> you know, like, yes, these look like amazing years, but um, we have been through horrendous years, you know, and seen, not horrendous, but just the, the, mm. the standard farming experience where, you know, frost or drought, it makes, it, it doesn't, the season doesn't come off. So yes, it's a great year. And, and, and I guess, yeah, different businesses are going to experience it, the results differently. But I think we will utilise these years, hopefully with um, carefully, just to basically steady the business, shore it up for that next challenging part of, you know, which I'm sure will come. Yeah, business is is exciting. But when you look at, do look at the numbers, if you're using those five-year averages, I think we did, we did, David, like the crop, it is a very tight um, budget if you were to use an average dollar per tonne number. So I don't want to lose sight of that fact that the costs 
a big chunk of cropping at the moment at the moment and you know until that all settles back down and of course interest rates are going to start to to, to play a part of um take a bit more of that chunk of money so yeah I, I think it'll be just carefully navigating the next bit what this yeah you talked i think we talked um before this idea of um i think of a quote that i wrote down but these understanding you know your numbers and how that helps you sleep at night this idea of this monitoring the cash flow especially in tight years and you came to david i think maybe you'd had a couple of very tight years and the value i mean i know you're a tight manager of cash flow and and forecasting and the benefit that gives you both as a business but also psychologically i suppose mm. can you speak to that at all yeah look definitely um yeah, knowing yeah, having that forecast of whatever the position may be has in one particular year enabled us to put our hand up for a parcel of land and that all happened very unpredictably like farming does opportunities never come at the right time when you want them to it just we had to react quite quickly it was not long after christmas and everyone was on holidays and but i was able to because we've done our budget for that following year back in october so we start next year's budget will you know tip well we've even done a, um, a bit of a projection but that we'll start that formal process by october to sort of a, a rough idea of what it might look like will be in place so having those those processes in your business it just kept us on the front foot we could see that we had come out in front after that particular year and moving into this land option was was actually an option but it it all had to happen very fast but because the numbers were all done I could demonstrate it to the to the bank. We were able to 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 have that opportunity. Um, on the flip of that, that particular year, the plan obviously things never go as you want. But that we had a terrible decile one year, right? So I had the absolute reverse. So by October the next year, we were rejigging a position that we never thought we would be in. The money that we had to pay off, you know, a big chunk of land actually just plugged a hole in in the cropping loss. And it meant everything just got shifted mm. back another 12 and 24 months, as it were, um, to where we thought we would be. But although it was challenging, like the thought of not being at, not navigating that the way we did, uh, you wouldn't have even got the land to begin with. You know, that was the start. Like we got that opportunity, but then we obviously had to manage it moving forward. But having that ability to project, forecast, run the numbers, think about it before you ring David and go, I think we've got a problem or I think this is an opportunity. It's, it, it makes it, I'm not going to lie, it does make it fun. Like you're in the driver's seat. You're the one doing the, 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 the thinking and, and then, uh, you know, acting on it. David's a, a very, very fabulous person to have in your business to just have a real slow it down, have a check, ask some really good questions. And, yeah, you can go back and, and either question what you're thinking or, or go, no, I know we can do it because I, I, can, you know, I can demonstrate this. Annalise, I think there's a lot of people nodding. It's interesting. You said um, it's fun. It's I noticed with all of our, uh, our people I've met uh, who are similar power users like yourself, they really enjoy it. So this concept of owning, you know, the, 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 I don't know, I don't know it's, it's joy, relief, ownership of owning your numbers. There is people tend to really enjoy that experience. And you, you talked also there, which is really interesting. A lot of people see numbers as a, um, especially tough years and good years. They don't really, they see budgeting as a restrictive period. In other words, this is what I'm limited to. But you're saying it also gave you 
uh, insight to opportunity. In other words, we've done our numbers and now we ha- we can probably take chances of opportunities that we probably, if we hadn't done the numbers, we probably wouldn't have even considered. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think if you talk to Craig, he might um, be a bit cranky. He hasn't always been able to, to grab the pieces of equipment that maybe, you know, he would have loved at that time. But um, <laughs> so the numbers do work against you sometimes if, uh, if, if you like that sort of thing. But for us, we had to be really strict on, on where we put our um, capital. David was very big on that, on the, if you're going to be throwing this much, not throwing, investing in lime and pastures and land, you can't do everything at once. So he just, he was, he's always had that global look and has that experience and knowledge to go. You can't push in one way. You can't push everywhere at once. So, you know, if you're going to push that way, hold that for a little bit longer. And then um, he taught, and, and through that process, um, I've learned more about how the um, those mechanics or those benchmarks work. And now I know how to work within them. And as the business as operating costs are coming down, we're freeing up some more of that room to, to address the um, the machinery deficit areas that we, we have, but we'll carefully do that now. Yeah, that's great. Now, David, you also have another saying that I like, which is who holds your cards or your card in particular? In this case, um, Annalisa, you know, owns her cards you know she holds all her cards right and and you like that can you explain this concept of a lot of people have ab, you, you've seen this and um, analysts you'd have probably a lot of um, friends and colleagues who do this who've abdicated that responsibility mm. um, can you t- explain around this concept of owning your own cards yeah no I think it's important and that's for all of us as as as, as individuals we need to take ownership of the fact that it is our business it is our affairs and we can't run them all ourselves at the end of the day. We need assistance from time to time. But when doing that, you're still holding the card. You don't hand that card over to somebody else and say, well, okay, take control of that and recreate it and do something with it and don't give it back. You must exchange that card back. An example there is before AgriMaster got onto the cloud and we got very technical and we could um, share files, etc. The way we used to, to work was is that the client held AgriMaster. He then would pass AgriMaster file to me. I'd do my budget, do all the bits and pieces. We'd send the file back and the client would own the card again. Conversely, if he went to his accountant, the accountant would have the file. We wouldn't do any work on the file. It would come back. That was great. There was con- clear control, but it's that concept. Even now where it's in the cloud, you are <clears throat> the owner of the card, the file, is the customer. My job is to make sure that what I'm thinking and what I'm doing is on that card, and Annalisa is the owner of that card. It's not David Neves. It's not the banks. It's not the accountants. And Annalisa, because she, and I love the word that you used, Annalisa, I enjoy doing this. If I stop that, she won't enjoy it. She will get frustrated and disconnected. And you don't want that. So it's like, so David, you're putting the client in this case at the, you're saying it's really important for a client to be the central hub and then the, the you know, all these very important advisors to farm businesses, bankers and accountants and advisors, um, and maybe even other people like I know, other family members, 
surround that hub, but in this case, Annalisa and Craig are at the centre of that hub and everything comes back to them, yep. like they're the owner. Yes, absolutely. And, and it has to be unbreakable, I believe, because if I get run over by a truck, Annalisa and Craig are still going to be there to run the business. And if I've got something up my sleeve, then that's totally inappropriate. It, it leaves that business exposed at the end of the day. So it's, it's leaving nothing on the table at the end of the day. You say what it is, a bit like that phone call to the bank manager if it's a bad season. Make it in November or do you want to wait until January just because you want to have a good holiday? Well, I'd rather go, make the phone call, know that I've got the bank manager thinking about what I've said and I can rest easy because I've got a good working relationship with him or her that means that I can enjoy my holiday. And Annalisa, you talked about, uh, when we were talking on the phone, you talked about feeling all the bumps, and I think this is in the early days, but we talked about the, I suppose, the importance of feeling all those bumps, and David talked about good season. Every farmer who's listening to this has had ripper seasons, and they've had their good fair share of bad ones as well, but you're talking about the importance of feeling all those bumps, and why do you think that's important for you as a, as a, a business owner-manager? I guess by not having, we didn't have land and land assets sitting under the business for that early period of time. So our, you know, our equity was like a roller coaster. If you've ever seen our equity graph in those early days, it was, uh, it was horrendous. I think uh, I did have a bank manager tell me that we had the lowest equity he'd ever seen financed for a season. You know, it was, there was a real low point in my life. I think I might've been pregnant. So <laughs> look, you know, um, I, I'm, as much as they were challenging and I really wondered what we were doing, I'm glad that we've experienced that because you, you, you recognise the um, importance of a good year-to-year operational outcomes, regardless of capital land growth. I think that's just almost put it to the side, obviously, because um, yeah, if we couldn't keep that business profitable, then there wasn't much point in, in, you know, in, in, take, in, in, in moving into a land-based operation. So that's it highlighted for us our weaknesses um, and when I understood more at the numbers and the impact you know our performance was was having and whether yeah there was opportunities to improve knowing more about you know why does that you know those growers they spend more but they make more why are they doing that and understanding the breakdown of our cost structure where we could tweak a few things but David took the lead in that initial analysis and, and setting up the right direction which I'll be forever grateful for and made us stop and have a really good look at what we were doing but and then and then being able to own the numbers alongside that it was you couldn't have separated the two needing to make improvements and, own, and owning your numbers go hand in hand and um, then being able to monitor our improvement and make sure we were we were heading in the right direction yeah I think it's been a a long, a great journey. Yeah, feeling every bump, but it, it, we've reacted. You feel it, so you can react, and I think that's the key because otherwise, if you don't react. And, and David, you mentioned that, and I think Annalisa, you've mentioned that before. This ability to feel it early, so can you have time to react? Yeah. You know, you, Annalisa, and David, you're talking about you know calling the bank. You know that three months time you might have an issue so you can make the call early and and the advantages of being able to feel those bumps early not late so you can actually have time to react that was a 
That was a really interesting point from both of you, actually. Um, can I just um, get into some practicalities? Uh, you know, you, you're both operating at, at quite a high level and and there's a lot of people who go, Jesus, it'd be great if I could operate like Annalisa or... or um, so, Annalisa, could you give us an example of um, your rhythms? So, so how do you actually do this? I know you enjoy it. So what are your rhythms? Like how often do you do your yep. actuals? How often do you review your budgets? How many budgets do you keep? Yep, sure. So the process is, um, it, let's say it kicks off from, um, let's talk about maybe we start with our annual review process, which ends sort of a cycle. But we'll start at that point. David, uh, I'll touch base with David and um, I would have closed out our um, actuals for that for that particular year. We run a February to January budget period. So I've you know, reconciled January. I, I know our final position to our, our master budget. So the budget that David has set for the previous year, he calls, we label that separately as the master budget in AgriMaster. So it doesn't get altered. It just becomes, that becomes our static document that we then reference to. So that, that document has gone to the bank. To us, it, um, yeah, that's the, the, the holy grail. The bank has that copy and whatever's diverged from that we speak to in the way of doing a, um, the first thing we would do is a budget to actual report. So we would import all the actuals into the budget to actual report. So you end up in using the, the short budget with notes option that you have in the reporting section. And David has taught me to articulate through those notes, you know, what we had budgeted to do. So we literally budgeted, say, 4,000 tonne of barley at $250. And then we write actual with this amount of barley at this amount of dollars. So it speaks to the variance. And we do that for every budgeted line item mm. the whole way down. So that, first of all, yeah, talks to the variance to the budget and, and then leads the discussion into the mm-hmm. why, yep, and then from that point, so we spend a fair chunk of time reflecting on what happened, and then we form. I'd, I would have already formed the budget for the next year moving forward with a bit of a rough idea of, yeah, obviously the, the starting opening balances mm-hmm. of things, and then we move into that process of forming the new master budget for that season. What pro, what things we obviously copy worksheets across so it's quite straightforward now because everything's set up but if you've copied worksheets we just adjust anything from the if the actuals were different significantly we make sure that everything's up to speed yeah similar or it's all up to date with what actually happened like if rates have gone up we make sure we adjust everything like that moving forward we make sure we've got mm-hmm. current season's pricing in for um, our grains. What we, what, and we often talk to the bank before we use those numbers because we don't want our, our numbers to be too far away from often banks have their own idea of what grain prices are going to look like for the year. Um, so it's important to have a bit of a chat with them and then run that budget scenario through with what we might be thinking, what Craig might have in his mind, what, what he wants to add in. And then we... We see how that sits and make any changes if needed. And then from that point onwards, say we start the, the season, the, once we decide on the, the final budget, that's the master, I then copy the master and call that the actuals for the year. And as we move through each season, I import the actuals into the budget. And then I have to then check, cross-check what's happened or what's been delayed from the master budget that I need to then adjust. Say, for instance, lambs this year, we decided to hold them longer than what we planned. So I've got to now put that income, um, move that income along the budget so I can keep track of our 
cash flow uh, through the business and, and forecast and change it. Obviously, things change as you go. In. So that that process, when things are really tight, I would obviously be reconciling and updating the um, the, the forecasted budget every month. Um, when it, when things get a bit more easy, you know, it can be something that I leave for maybe two months or so. But ideally, it would be done every month. But like everybody, I'm I'm not perfect, and I'm not um, and I'm you know time limited a bit. So if I think there's not an issue, I won't be too stressed about it. But also build up towards the middle of the year as my hang on, make sure everything's checks and balances done. I do a mid-year report to the bank and speak to what's happened, like what have you know how we've put in different um, enterprise like mm -hmm. this year than what we budgeted or master budgeted for. So I'll talk to the different changes in commodities and hectares, any changes, like for instance, those delays in income. So speak to the fact that we might not be at that particular um, budget point and why and give them an update of the season and what we're projecting moving forward for the rest of the season. So we do I, I, I do that independently now. I used to use David. So I've been able to evolve, like as my skills have got stronger, I can do that mid-year report. So David often just gets the email now where he's got, you know, everything's all updated and a bit of a report that, you know, he's cc to himself and the bank basically from us um, as to where we're at mid-year. Yeah, and then and moving forward and starting October, we start to work on the forward season's budget because you start to get an idea of what the season's shaping up like. So I can put in more firmer yields and prices by October once the frost period's through. And yeah, it gives us a really good springboard into the next season when we've already done a lot of that work prior to, and because harvest just consumes everything. So getting using that little window in October works well. I like how you talk about it. It's a cycle. And I think this is an important thing. I think everyone, you know, realises it's not a – a lot of people think of a year, even a production year, as a, as a fixing continuum from one point to another. But like you said, you're starting all the forecasting for the next season in October of the current season. And and it's just this cycle that keeps turning. And the and you're talking about this idea of constant, um, constant review um, as, as a process and why you do that. Um, um, I wanted to touch on a couple of points. Um, the first one is going back to um, David mentioned to me once, he loves the idea that, you know, with someone like you, he, he, you and Craig and his other clients about how you can do a lot of this work yourself, which means he could spend a lot of time talking to you about scenarios. Do you, you know, you have scenarios, you've mentioned them, frost, you, you might get a drop in wheat price or you might get, you know, low rain for, you know, percentile one year or something. Do you run those scenarios maybe with David or do you have a go yourself? Do you copy the budget and run a, yeah. I don't know, a percentile one year? Yeah. Um, do you do those scenarios yourself? Yeah, yep, definitely when we were in those, um, you know, if you had a land purchase ahead of you doing a, a three budget, like an average and then a above average, below average. Um, yep, and I can definitely do that. I only thing I just get David to glance over and make sure I've got oh rolling no it's really rolling seasons I'm just managing that that GST component probably that fun bit of budget but um mm -hmm. doing certainly doing scenario planning and copying and adjusting um, is I'm pretty good at now uh, but it has you know it's, it's having that coaching from David has been yeah the key to it all 
but no, definitely the scenarios have been very helpful. Yeah, you and you mentioned, um, I think David um, mentioned to me, and I think you've mentioned to me about this idea. You you talked to everyone about you talked about doing the effort in the worksheets, and and I think you're talking about the difference between a quick budget. You know, so I suppose most people who don't use something like Hagrid Master would assume that it's a bit like a spreadsheet as opposed to worksheets and. The work and David said to me, uh, he said, um, Annalisa um, invested a lot up front in getting all her worksheet models correct, and now it's she's paying. It's um, what do you call it? You're you're getting the benefits of all that upfront work. Can you explain to you? Because it would have been. It's a, it, most people. It's, it looks daunting to to set all those models up or those worksheets up initially. But to you, the benefit of that? Yeah. Look, the the worksheet has has been an evolution. Like every year. David might, you know, there's only a time limit. David's got a limited time. His time is very valuable. So our, every year I could see where the worksheets, if I hadn't got enough detail, had sort of let me down or, or weren't speaking enough to um, giving, you know, clearly hadn't split out, say, for instance, something different. So I would every year build on it and take a bit more time. So I guess my little tip would be just start relatively simple and then just build on it. I think... You know, I wanted everything at, at once, but it's not really realistic. Mm-hmm. So just building on it every year, um, David would often give me ideas, you know, and say, well, someone else has done this, this and this, or, you know, do we want to get to paddock level here and we think about that? Or um, I think just letting it organically evolve uh, has been the best way because, um, yeah, each year I've demanded more. From, and I've had I've got a deeper understanding, so therefore I've, I've demanded more from the program or made myself do more. But I, I wouldn't have been able to do that at the first stage. I just, um, but now it's, it's great. Yeah, I like that idea of starting slow and demanding more as you get more. Mm-hmm. And David, you know, you obviously see the benefit of this. Um, have you got anything to add to what Annalise was saying? Oh no, it's uh, the the main thing is is that once you get your basis right, as Annalise said quite a lot um, a bit earlier is that you can copy the worksheets from one year to the next and it becomes an editing process. And if you build underneath that the knowledge of your cropping worksheets, your livestock worksheets, and then you get into assets, your asset worksheets, um, your statement of position, what things relate to what in in those, those figures. So an evolution example would be um, getting understanding of your grain on hand and suddenly starting to use the grain sales option in the asset worksheets, um, as opposed to maybe using the sundry assets because you didn't understand the other one was there. So as your un- understanding increases, AgriMaster has a habit of, thought, you know, oh, there is something mm-hmm. there for you to use to do that. And rather than overload people, you just slowly bring those fundamentals out because talking about the statement of position is a massive topic because you then have to talk about you know monitoring the inventory of your of your business so i'm not going to do that on the first visit i'm just going to simply say can you tell me what fuel you've got on hand etc keep it very simple then the next visit you'll ask the same question so it gives you an opportunity to then say well okay the reason we're doing this is because use feed as an example if our feed's going up and down and varying, that's going to affect our costs within the livestock enterprise that doesn't go through the cash flow. And so that opens mm. up a different conversation. And I think that's what Annalise is alluding to, is just it's like peeling back an onion. 
you know, an onion's got layers, mm. farm business has got layers. So what you're saying there, David, is that instead of being intimidated by this sort of work, and Annalise, you're saying the same thing, is slowly peel it back. So don't try and tackle it all. Just try and get good at little bits at a time. So anyone starting this journey like you did yeah. years ago, Annalisa, is mm. just start the journey slowly and not try and tackle it all at once. And eventually you'll end up with a model of your farm that works for you. Mm. Is that sort of what your advice yeah. is to people? Yeah, I think so. I yep. think we have to be realistic that we're still running businesses and just doing the day-to-day -day things is hard, let alone bringing something new into your business. So keeping it realistic will make it achievable. Um, I think I couldn't have done it without the likes of David, who was prepared to match me where I was and then could see where I wanted to be and was prepared to move with that. I think that's quite a unique and incredible um, gift that David has and... Um, I I'll be forever indebted, but he has, yeah. But he's always kept one step ahead, you know, and which is I think what where these um, the businesses um, are to enable business growth and have someone helping. But you know, the Agromaster system has given us that framework, and David's been one of your number one <laughs> staunch supporters for um, to, to teaching and and showing how how we can measure. And, um, and manage the business using the program. And um, it is a quite a remarkable program. And, and yeah, we're, we're, we're happy to be, to be with it and to, excited about the future of it. So that'd be, that'd be great. A couple of last things. Um, I'll start with you, Annalisa. A tip to younger self. So you're talking, I'm going to finish up soon. So I'll just say for you, talk to your younger self from 2022. What are you going to tell yourself? And maybe yeah. there's a lot of other younger analysts who are starting the journey like you are right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they've, they've just entered the farming operation somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, so, so. surround yourself with people that are going to, to well, first of all, work out what it is that you need. I think um, and, and that, that, that can be hard. So talk to people, um, read lots. I, I went, and then find those key people that are going to help you achieve what you need to achieve. I don't think you can do it on your own in this industry. And yeah, pulling in the, the right people is the key. Uh, tip would be, yeah, just don't give up. <laughs> Keep at it and um, baby steps, <laughs> yeah. baby steps along the way. And and, and I think we, I think you talked about it, David. <laughs> Managing any business, the, the, the three components, and I think the numbers fundamentally have to come first. Uh, our business had to be viable before we worried about the one percenters of productivity. Um, I think the keeping the, the business on track, building some good foundations, solid foundations first and, and being able to manage our numbers was a good direction that we headed down first up to then grow the business from. That's great. And Dave, your last tip. So you've seen a lot of clients over the years. So what's your big tip to you to, to younger people, especially starting this journey that Annalise has been on? We, you know, so where do you, what's your big tip to them? Yeah, there's probably a couple components to it. Know where you are. If you don't know where you are financially and where your business is, how are you going to work out where you're going to go and what you want to achieve? It's, it's just a foundation stone. And once you get the foundation stone and you understand that, then all those other questions will fall into place. Where am I going and how am I going to get there? Mm -hmm. 
If you can't get the first one right, if you don't know the starting point, you're on the wrong track. Well, I, I love it. The other thing you mentioned there is questions, David. Ask lots of questions. Mm. I think um, my, one of my favourite sayings is only a wise man knows he's a fool. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, one last thing before we go, because we've run out of time, is I'll start with you, David, and then I'll finish with you, Annalisa. So, David, when you're not doing all things farming, because I know you as a farm management advisor of many years, but there must be other things to David. So what do you do when you're not working as a farm advisor? So how do you... Well, I'm gonna, I'll take a domestic um, view to that. I've got five kids and I've got seven grandchildren. So we need a bigger table to have lots, lots more family meals. How's that sound? <laughs> Oh, that, that's great. You've been busy. That's great. You've done your bit for the planet. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, Annalisa, when you're not farming, what does Annalisa do? Oh, dear. That's a tricky question. Again, yes, just I have four kids. So I'm either, I'm, my brain is farming, family, look, love a bit of sport, trying to find a bit more time for that would be great. But look, yeah, I'm very happy with my farming family duo at the moment and, uh, and yeah, a, a little bit of, of time to, yeah, I'm off to a, a professional development course today. So, yeah, that's, the, yeah, look, look, yeah, enjoy farming, enjoy farming and all it has to offer. Well, enjoy your course today. I better let you go. And um, once again, thank you both very much. I think everybody will get a huge lot of value out of the insights that both of you delivered. And um, thank you again for your time. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. <laughs> As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster Farm Business Management Software and Services, you can find us at www.agrimaster.com.au or find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. If you like this episode, please share it on social media or directly with a friend. And let's make farm business great together.